So this morning I want to ask you a question uh, about life. And the question about life I want to ask you is this. What can you be really certain about in life? What can you be really unequivocally sure and certain about in life? There's a famous quote that says, The only certain things in life are death and taxes. I'm not sure we all understand taxes these days, but death maybe. We'll talk about that a little later. But I've been thinking about this. What, what are you really certain and sure about in life? And when I was a seven-year-old boy, I was really certain about my attitude towards girls. When I was seven, girls were gross. All right, Most seven-year-old boys, girls are gross. But when I became about 10 or 11, my attitude went from girls, they're gross, to girls, they're annoying. Okay? Are you with me, boys, on that? But so at seven, girls were gross. At 10 or 11, they were annoying. Somewhere after that, my attitude changed. And my attitude went from girls, they're gross, girls, they're annoying, girls, I have to get me one of them. Okay, so my certainty changed the older that I got. And what I was certain about then changed and changed. And here's my question I've been thinking about. Do we get more or less certain about life the older we get? To be honest, I'm not certain about that. I'm really not. But you know, thousands of years ago, a young guy called David wrote a few words. It's a poem, really, a song that we now know as a psalm. It's the most famous bit in the whole of the Bible. It's called Psalm 23. And he begins Psalm 23 with a statement of certainty. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then the rest of the psalm is describing evidence for that statement. And over the last five weeks in this church, we've been looking at this psalm. And so David begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he gives you the evidence to back up that statement. He says, because you see, this shepherd, this shepherd leads me in such a way that he leads me to green pastures where I can be rested and refreshed. He carves out for me still pools of water where I can be renewed and restored. He leads me and guides me on the right paths in life. Even when I go through the valley of tough times, the shadow of death, I'll not fear because he's with me. And then what he does is he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And when I'm hurt, he heals me because he anoints my head with oil. And my cup is so full, it's overflowing because he always wants to be in my presence. And then David finishes the psalm with two statements of absolute certainty. And my goal this morning, what I want to do is I want to do two things. Number one, if you have already asked Jesus to be your shepherd... In other words, if you're already a Christian, my goal is that you'd be inspired today and you'd be filled with a greater degree of confidence and trust. My goal is that you would walk out this place certain about these two things that David was certain about. But I've got a second goal this morning, and this was what I planned many, many weeks ago. And my second goal is this, that if you've not yet asked Jesus to be your shepherd, if you've never, ever said, Lord, would you lead me and would you guide my one and only life? My goal is that this morning that you would think about making that commitment today and that you could become certain, just as David was certain, of these two statements. Now, it may be this morning that you say, hey, I've just come along because someone's brought me or whatever, you know, and I wasn't quite sure where I was going and how did I end up here? And you may have that experience or feeling. And maybe you say, I'm certain about the fact that there's no God. I'm already certain about that. I want to question that certainty. You see, some people often say to me, hey, you Christians, you're so closed-minded. Okay, you just need to be more open-minded. To which I want to say to them, okay, and I sometimes do, so you believe that there's nothing more to life than what you can see, eat, touch or experience, right? 
There's no sense, there's no possibility that there is a life beyond what you can see. There's no possibility that there is no, that there, that could be a God. You're absolutely certain about that. And they say, absolutely certain. Then I want to say, but I don't. Then which is the most closed-minded position? Because if you have reached a degree of certainty where you are certain that there's nothing out there, that there is no God, that's closed-minded. What I want to encourage you to do, to do today is to become open-minded. Open-minded to the idea that there could be someone, something out there, someone out there who could and does want to have a relationship with you. So that's my goal this morning. And here's the two great statements of absolute certainty. I'm going to put it in my words and then in the Bible words. My words is this. If God is your shepherd, you can be certain of what's pursuing you. David put it this way in the psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's like he starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's what a shepherd does. And he knew that from personal experience because he was a shepherd. And then he ends up with this incredible statement, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We're going to break down each of those verses and phrases or words and phrases. The word surely, not possibly, not maybe, not might be, not could be, not I wish was, not possibly, none of that. Certainty, surely. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Then we introduce God's two great big sheepdogs, goodness and mercy, okay? Because these are these two beasts of God that literally will follow you all the days of your life. Now, what do we understand by the word goodness? When we think, oh, he's a good person, we say, that's a good steak. That was a good movie. That's a good person. That's what we think of when we think of good. Because we think he's done a good thing or it was a good film. But then that next film was terrible. But you see, when the Bible talks about goodness of God, it isn't talking about what God does. It's talking about who God is. And there's this idea in the Bible that God doesn't just do good things, but God is goodness itself. The very intrinsic nature of God is that he is good. And he is good all the time. And all the time, he is good. And this goodness follows us all the days of our life. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, okay, you'll understand this next bit I'm talking about. There is a verse in the Bible that often good-meaning Christians quote at you when you're going through horrible times. When they do that, I want to slap them. I'm sorry, I do, because they quote it wrongly. And the verse is here in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And when you're going through a tough time, and many of the people in this community, in our church, are going through tough times right now. When someone says, hey, all things work together for good, at that moment, it's the wrong time. Because what it says, or what it suggests, is that Paul, who writes this, is saying, hey, come on, whatever awful, terrible, unexpected bad stuff is happening in your life, God is good, so suck it up and get on with it. That's how it feels. But it's not saying that at all. You see, in the original language that this was written in in Greek, and I'm going to get a little bit technical, not to show off, but because it's important, okay? Because I haven't got that much to show off about. I don't know that much Greek, okay? But I'm going to tell you a little bit. There are two Greek statements, and one is a priori, which is before the fact or during the fact, and one is called a posteriori, which is after the fact. In other words, it's a statement that's said that you can only understand... And only get in the future looking back. This is one of those. 
This is a posteriori. So in other words, when you're going through something, this should not be quoted because you can't get this or understand this. But in the future, when you look back over your shoulder, what this is saying is this, God has this way of taking things that have happened to you, many of them of which are not good, they're bad. But God can take those bad things and some of those good things and those other things and he can weave them together to bring good into your life if you stick with him long enough. So you look back at your marriage breakup and you look back at the job that you lost and you look back at your health situation and you look back at when your your kid broke your heart and you look at all that. Was that good? No, none of it was good. Did God cause it? No. But can God take it and do something good with it? Absolutely. But you're not going to understand that in the fact or at the time, only in the future when you're looking back over your shoulder. Does that make sense? And David says, this sheepdog of goodness will just keep pursuing me all the days of my life. And not only goodness, but what about mercy? A mother once approached the emperor Napoleon, uh, seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offence twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried. It would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Let me just make a little aside. I want to say, you know, if you're a Christian this morning, and many of you are, and we're a church, we believe that God calls us to be mercy givers into our world. That means that we want to extend love and grace to those who may not deserve it. That means that one of the evidence that we run a food bank here at the church and every week we feed loads and loads of people in our community. We will be a welcome place to asylum seekers and refugees. We will be and are a place that want to give a voice to the voiceless, that want to stand alongside the weakest and most vulnerable in our society. And you might say, but they don't deserve it. And we'll say, and that's the point. Because mercy means giving something to someone who doesn't deserve it. And the reason that we do that is because we understand that that's exactly what God has done for us. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. But let me talk about myself. When it comes to God's goodness, all right, I don't deserve it, but God has given it to me. And when it comes to you, you don't deserve it either. But God has extended it towards you because it's called mercy. And David says, all the days of my life, these two sheepdogs, goodness and mercy, are going to pursue me. Then it says, follow me. They're going to follow me. The verb there literally means to pursue. It means to follow in order to capture or overtake. It's literally like God is going to stalk you. That's literally what it means. It's like God is so obsessed with you. He's crazy about you. He will not stop coming towards you. He wants to fill your life with goodness and mercy. He will follow you all the days of your life. In the good days, the dark days, the confused days, the overwhelmed days, the certain days, the uncertain days. He is pursuing you with goodness and mercy. And it finishes by saying, all the days of my life. Not some of the days, not a few of the days, but all of the days of my life. That means, folks, and I really want you to hear this, that when you're at home struggling with those toddlers, he's with you. When you're tearing your hair out because of those teenagers, he's with you. Those days as well. When you're in that dead-end job or when you're out of work or when you're overwhelmed by work, those days he's with you as well. When you're trying to navigate life on your own or you're trying to work through a difficult relationship, he's in those days as well. When you're looking in the mirror 
and asking yourself, where have all the years gone? Or when you're waiting for those reports from the doctors, he's in those days as well. Isn't that amazing? And David says all these years ago, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I don't know about you, but I think that's amazing news, don't you? Why don't we just pause for a moment and just thank God that this is true for us as well. Can we do that? Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning that the words of this psalm written thousands of years ago are so alive and so real. And there are many of us in this room that when we look back over our shoulder, we say, do you know what? That's true. That even in those dark days, even those difficult days when you seemed a million miles away, now I look back over my shoulder and I can see that you never left me. You pursued me. Goodness and mercy stalked me all the days of my life. What an amazing God you are. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. But there's a second statement that uh, David makes, and this is what I want to focus on in the last five or ten minutes. And it's this statement, if God is your shepherd, you can be certain of what's coming when you die. David put it this way, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now before you think, this is the first time I've ever been in church and you're talking about death, how depressing. We don't often talk about death in this church, okay? But here's the thing, nobody in our whole culture talks about death these days. We don't even talk about it. And yet it's the ultimate statistic that one out of every one of us is at some point going to die. And yet we seem afraid. We can talk about money, we talk about sex, we talk about politics, talk about religion, talk about everything now that we didn't used to talk about in times gone by. We're frightened to talk about death. One of the reasons we're frightened is because it's unfamiliar. You know, I I read a stat recently and and Kath, who's 100, who who sat there, I'm not pointing at Matt, who's 100, okay? (laughs) But she sat sat right there. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say anything, stop it. She sat right there and and I thought, you know, Kath was born in 1915 and the stat I read was this. In 1915, okay, the average 16-year-old had seen six people die in their lives in 1915. In 2015, it's not uncommon for a 50-year-old never to have seen a dead person. So we're unfamiliar with the concept of death. That's one of the reasons that... that, that. So, so what we do is we, we do everything to protect ourselves. So we cover up and we, we do surgery and we, you know, we get all the ointments and all that and we pretend and deny that we're, that we're getting older because we, we're unfamiliar with the concept. But it's also upsetting. Woody Allen, the comic comedian, said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> And it's like, it's upsetting. We don't want to think about it. But prepare for your mind to be blown a little this morning. You see, David was a shepherd. And this psalm is a shepherd psalm. And it's taken from the world of shepherding and sheep. Now, here's the thing that I found in my research. The flock that the sheep is described in Psalm 23 was destined for life, not death. It's destined for wool, not meat. And there was a custom that when the old sheep got too old to go out into pasture... It got too old to go through the rigours of of going through the valleys and of climbing the hills and all that. The shepherd was so emotionally attached to the sheep that he would bring that old sheep back to his own home and the sheep would live there in his house as if it was one of his pets, almost as if it was one of the family. And I wonder, I can't prove it, but I wonder whether David had that image in mind when he said, and you know what, one day I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I get too old, do you know what I mean? To, to, to get out there into the, the fields and do all that. When I'm like an old piece of mutton, and I nearly went into old mutton dressed as lamb at the first service, but I'm not going to go there. When I get to that stage, do you know what? 
God is not going to just put me out to the knacker's yard, excuse the French, or he's not just going to cut me off. But what he's going to do, because he's so emotionally attached to me, is he's going to take me home and I'm going to live in his home forever. That's amazing, isn't it? And David said with certainty, you know, that, that, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want you to know, and we, we talked about this at the first service because Kath was here and she's 100. Whether you live to the grand old age of 100 or whether you are 20, 30, 40, 50, all of it is like that in the scope of eternity. It really is. It really is. But what we believe with certainty is that we can live life now because we know that when that moment comes for us to pass from this life, that isn't the end. It's just the next chapter of an ever-expanding story. It's called eternity. It's called heaven. It's called home. Isn't that amazing? And we don't believe that that's just some kind of fairy tale or myth. We believe that that is absolutely true. David only had the first five books of the Bible. But listen to what the Apostle John wrote hundreds of years later in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home for you old sheep. That's what he's saying. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. That's beautiful. So have you ever longed to be home? Maybe you've been away and you've longed to be home. Have you ever felt far from home? You know, homesickness is one thing God doesn't mind us having because all of us are far from home. And this world is not really our home anyway. And you might say this morning, that seems a bit, a bit crazy. But you know, we believe that we're here on this planet and we want to live life now. But this isn't our home. This isn't our final destination. Our final destination is to be with him in heaven for eternity. And when you know that, it frees you to live life now in three main ways. Number one, it gives you a perspective on death. You know, you know, our culture does everything it can to deny the reality that we're all going to die. But you know, homesickness and, and ageing rather is one of God's ideas because what ageing does is it reminds us that we're not meant for this place anyway. That we're destined for another place and that's heaven. It also gives you a perspective on suffering. Now I have lots of questions about suffering in my own life and when I see suffering around me. I have lots of questions about why life is so tough for so many people. When I switch on the TV sets and I see what's happening in Syria and in Iraq, I see what's happening in the Mediterranean with the desperate people trying to get out of countries for whatever reason. And you have your own thoughts and ideas. I just see suffering. And I think, God, why do you allow this to happen? They want to see suffering in people's lives, up close and personal. I have lots of questions. And a lot of suffering doesn't make sense to me. But I tell you this, and I say this often, it doesn't make sense to me. But without God, it makes even less sense. And you know, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And when he said that, he was referring to his own suffering. And he makes a list of it. He was shipwrecked. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was flogged. He was driven out of places. And he calls them light and momentary troubles. Because his perspective is that this life isn't all there is to life. There's something beyond. And here's my thought. And I, and I wrote this out myself and I just thought, you know, I have a feeling that all of the world's injustices, injustices will one day be made right. Now, we as a church, we believe passionately to do all we can about injustice wherever we see it. And we want to do all we can to make it right this side of heaven, but we're not going to be able to do the whole deal. But one day, all the world's injustices will be made right. 
And at that day, there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more separation. And I have a feeling that some of the biggest crowns are going to sit on very unfamiliar heads. And some of the biggest heads in heaven are going to have nothing more than a button. So I have a feeling that for the disabled and for those battling with mental health and depression, and for those who, no matter what life has thrown at them, it seems to knock them down and they never seem to be able to make a break. They never seem to be able to get anywhere. For those people, I believe that there's going to be some massive crowns on those heads. Because I think that what happens is that it gives us as a perspective that one day he will make all things right. And so for us, and I've said this before, as you know, our youngest son Simeon has got complex special needs and disability. and He's doing much better two weeks on from all those horrible things that happened two weeks ago. But we don't have very many conversations. We really can't connect because he just can't say that. But we have a feeling, we have a, a certainty that in that day, in that day, we'll have a great conversation with Simi. We may never have that this side of heaven, but in that day we will. Because it gives you a perspective on suffering. But it also gives you a perspective on living life now. And I want to say as we finish, our core, the end of this, my core to you is this, let's live life now. You know, one day we're going to pass from this life to the next and then we're going to live for eternity. But until that time, whether it's months or years or weeks, let's live life now. And how this perspective helps us is that it means we live life like we're not home yet. Don't get too attached to stuff that doesn't matter. And the stuff that doesn't matter is your house and your car and your football team and your clothes, and your trinkets, and may I even say it, Downton Abbey is part of the stuff that doesn't really matter. And the bake-off doesn't really matter. It's all good, enjoy it, but don't get attached to it, because it's only stuff. The guy, Max Licato, who wrote an amazing book on this psalm, and I've taken many thoughts and ideas from the book, he writes this, The greatest calamity is not to feel far from home when you are, but to feel right at home when you're not. That's a great statement. Greatest calamity is not to feel far from home when you are, but to feel right at home when you're not. Let's live like we're not home yet, because that's the truth. And if you want to know whether you're too attached to your stuff, give it to me. <laughs> Unless it's Downton Abbey and you can keep it. <laughs> the second thing is live with a greater sense of what's important. Folks, people are important. They are the only important thing, aren't they? Outside of our relationship with God, it's all about people. Because when we go and we pass from this life to the next, the only thing that goes there is people. The souls, the spirits of people, that's what goes. So we want to live with what's important. And finally, we want to live with a greater sense of excitement about the life we live now and the one to come. And I've had the privilege and honour and challenge of sitting with some people who have passed from this life to the next. I remember one fellow who was a retired Methodist minister Served God faithfully for 80 odd years and, and I was there with him and as he passed from this life to the next I read Psalm 23 out over him and his body was shutting down but his spirit was alive and you could sense it, it was so powerful in the room that as he breathed, breathed his life and his body went, you could sense that he was going home. It was beautiful, I can't describe it to you other than that, it was just amazing and that's happened a few times and all I know that in that mystery of that that there's something about God saying, hey, do you know what, for this sheep here, you know, you've done your kind of time wandering around and grazing and doing all that. Do you know what, I'm going to take you home. And David lived with this certainty 
that all of the days of his life, goodness and mercy are stalking him. And one day he's going to call him and he is going to go home forever. Isn't that amazing? And what I want to do this morning is I've got two questions for you as we close. Number one, if you say that the Lord is your shepherd, how close are you following him right now? Or have you lost sight? Have you become disconnected? Are you like a sheep that's way back there and the shepherd, you know he's out there somewhere but you can't see him? I don't believe that's how God wants you to follow him. I believe that this morning is an opportunity where you can say, hey, I've got disconnected. I've lost sight of the shepherd, but I want to put my eyes back. I want to get connected back. And the second question is this. If you're not sure if the Lord is your shepherd, maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Maybe you've never even opened up your mind. Maybe your mind has been so closed to the idea that there even could be a God. Then my thought to you today is, why not make certain of your relationship with God today? You could do that. And I'm going to invite you to do that in a moment. But before we do that, the guys are going to come and they're going to sing for you. This is a beautiful song. And it's where we've taken the title, Live Life Now, from. It's a song called This Is Living Now. Originally, this song was a dance track song, a youthy dance track song. We're not going to do the dance track youthy version this morning. Oh, I know. But we're going, to do, we're going to do something which I think is so important and so right at the end of our series. They're going to do this acoustic version of this great song. And I want to ask everyone if you could stay seated for the next few minutes, okay, guys? And not move out. Go to the tour right now. Just stay seated for these few moments. And while this song is being sung, think for yourself, if you are a Christian and the Lord is your shepherd, how close are you following him right now? Have you lost sight of him? And if you're not, if you're not, open up your mind to the idea that there could be a God. And if he's calling you, why not even today you respond to that invitation? You know, um, when Jesus was around 2,000 years ago, he used a phrase that he often said to people, which was this, follow me. And he invited them to follow him. And some of those first disciples didn't believe in him at the time. You know, that they weren't sure. But there was something in him that caused them to want to follow him. And as they followed him, they got to understand him. They got to believe in him. They got to get it. But they followed. And it may be this morning that you've come here and and you're not ready to commit. You're not ready to say yes. You're not ready to do that. But could you follow? Could you come back again? Because as, as you follow, there'll be many people in this room that will tell you the first time they came, they didn't get it neither. But then they came back again and they came back again and something happened and all of a sudden they realized that they were in a very different position, but they just started by taking one step. So we really want to encourage you this morning, come back again. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Next week, a great friend of mine, Duncan, is here. He's speaking. He's a brilliant communicator. You'll really enjoy it. Come again. You might not be ready to get go for the whole deal and sign on the line and all that stuff, but maybe you can take the next step and come back. And as we finish this morning, we're going to go a little old school and we're going to read this Psalm 23 out together, all together, okay? So that the last thing that we do, the last kind of words we put on our lips this morning before we head off out into our week, is the words of this incredible, incredible song. So let's go. We'll read it out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you for this amazing psalm that helps us to live life now. So Lord, thank you that as we go and as we head out into our week and to our schools and colleges and universities and workplaces and communities and homes, God, you will go with us. You are our guardian. You go before us. You are our shepherd. And so thank you that we don't have to do this one life on our own. We can do it with you. And then when that day comes, God, we get to be with you in eternity and we get to live on with you. What an amazing truth that we can be certain about today. Help us, I pray as we go in Jesus' name.